Just before we get started, I want to share with you one of our sponsors and a secret to our success. I don't know about you, but I got into commercial property to build a more passive income. But how do you manage multiple clients and contracts in multiple buildings without spending all of your time on endless spreadsheets? After a lot of research, we use Office R&D, the best flexible workspace software to manage our CMO buildings, co-working and flexspace. For starters, the automated bill run saves hours of work and means we don't miss any revenue. Plus, I can get many reports on the performance of each product and location. But here's the real clincher. We all need to focus on customers more and our clients can now use our app to access buildings, book meeting rooms, review their invoices. And there's a great feature where they can interact with our member community. And this is all managed from within the Office R&D platform. There's a partner link in the show notes so you can book a demo. Take a look, see how the system can improve your operations and customer experience. Right, make yourself comfortable. Let's get on with today's show. Hello and welcome back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast. This is where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential into commercial property investment. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, we're continuing with our series about deal appraisal. I know when I first started out, I couldn't find this type of information anywhere and it was very frustrating and of course made it a bit more risky because I didn't quite know what I was doing. But just before we get into those details, I want to start with a thank you to our many listeners who have been tuning in from the USA. I appreciate there is a large choice of property podcasts that originate in the States, but most commercial oriented podcasts are focused on multifamily commercial properties, which I know is a great investment vehicle and a term used a lot by our American listeners. But on this podcast, we talk in the main about commercial space for business customers. Things like warehousing, offices, retail storage, maybe shared spaces or workshops, raw land and many more. My particular favourite is mixed-use, multi-let commercial properties with a range of customers at each site. I like to call it commercial multiple occupancy, or CMO for short. So for those of you that listened into the last show, how did you get on with your one thing? Are you getting active out there? Let me know what you're getting up to on your commercial property journey by posting in our Facebook group or contacting us directly. Details, of course, are in the show notes. It's always good to hear what people are up to in this great marketplace, and it's definitely time for opportunity. And I want to keep giving you the tools and knowledge you need to add commercial property to a portfolio. Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing the different things you need to think about when carrying out some deal analysis. So what are the things you need to analyse for each potential purchase? Well, in episode 13, we discussed how to work out local demand for your potential commercial project. We talked about assessing what the market is like, what the competitor is doing, what model could work for your target building, along with a few other methods to work out the demand and pricing level you might be able to achieve. To me, this is number one, because without customers, there's not really any point. You can have the best building in the world, but if there's nobody actually wanting it, then it's pretty pointless. Next, in episode 15, we looked at the potential running costs, so we can effectively work out the operational side of the equation. I shared many of the factors we look at pre-deal to determine the levels of outgoings. Some single occupant properties with long leases, of course, can have a lot less outgoings, but don't be lulled into thinking that it is completely passive and you'll never have any cost. That's just simply not the case. And of course, the more hands-on your operation, the higher the service levels given to your customers, 
and the higher you can charge, but it does come at a management cost. So it's trying to work out what's best for you. So researching demand should help determine what businesses might want and the price they're willing to pay, which is ultimately going to be your income. And learning about those operational costs will tell you what the outgoings are going to be and therefore what you're going to be left with. This week, I'm going to talk about the bit in the middle. What about the refurbishment and redevelopment factors? We chatted about determining the purchase price, rather than the advertised price, of commercial property back in episode 6. So now let's look at what we might have to spend to bring your new piece of real estate up to the optimal standard or position for the local market. Notice, I didn't say the best possible standard, nor the lowest possible cost we can get away with. It might require neither extreme. During your market analysis, you should be able to work out where the gaps are in the provision for the local market and adjust your plans to suit what the customers are actually looking for. It's interesting to think that in amongst all the noise out there and the talk of recessions and the death of the high street, it is easy to understand why investors could be turned off from investing in the commercial property market right now. But we're not investing in the whole commercial property market. And this is critical. We are only investing in one specific building in a specific location with a specific set of local market demographics. So by all means... See what the sentiment is out there of the whole market, but don't let that be your only guide for local decisions, because you and I tend to invest in one or two locations, and those locations may have completely different things going on compared with the national market. So, I'll repeat, we're not investing in the whole commercial property market in each transaction, we are investing in one location, so you need to look at what's going on in that location. So, for instance, if you're investing in warehousing, transport or storage right now, you could be in a very strong part of the market. There are always pockets that will react differently and areas with specific supply and demand issues that will affect your project potential. Is there oversupply or even undersupply of a certain property type where you're looking? Even better, are there barriers to entry for other investors? All these factors can affect what your customers are willing to pay and whether you're actually going to get any customers. So, what are the things we need to look at when we're talking about this refurbishment? I often talk about buying older properties and bringing them back into sustainable use rather than new build, something that I prefer to do. But sometimes building new, of course, can be the right choice. And the biggest difference with new builds is that once you've got the property out of the ground, The costing is far easier to determine than a refurbishment or a redevelopment. The bit below the ground is slightly more unknown. Of course, you can, you know, carry out um, site investigative work, drill some test holes. But I found out personally that a project profit can go before you even get out of the ground. Years ago, we speculatively built a house to sell on. But the extra unforeseen rock busting kit that we had to put in on site basically took away our margin. So, okay, mainly maybe a rookie error, but it was certainly a good lesson for us. So with older buildings, we need to work out some budgets for the redevelopment to get the property to the optimum price offering. I'd like to tell you that the cost is, you know, £500 a square metre or £1,000 a square metre, but it's just not that simple. 
you can, of course, try and get some data from, for instance, the RICS to get a schedule of rates to build up a cost. But sometimes trying to work out whether a project is a goer or needs to be, or not, sorry, needs to be determined at each stage of the negotiation and purchase phase. And not necessarily using a full-blown architectural and QAS project design and costing model because that may mean you miss the opportunity or spend a lot of money when the project never had legs anyway. Over time, you will learn how to make better judgments yourself. Another good reason for starting small and building up, of course. While you're going along, make sure you keep the costs for each development you carry out so you can compare new projects with past learnings. So I'm going to go through a list of things to look out for when you're going through this exercise so you can work out what your costs might be. But just before I do that, I'd like to give you some sort of idea here on what it could be. Because I appreciate some of you just want to know the numbers, at least something to start with. And I can only do this by sharing our data. And here's a range of square metre costs we've spent over the years. So on one project, we spent as little as £20 a square metre, okay? Because the property was in good condition. And we also received a dilapidations payment from an outgoing tenant, which helped pay for some of the works that were needed. So actually only cost us about £20 a square metre. Now, that's an extreme. Another example, we spent between £180 and £200 a square metre. And included that was things like electric upgrade, new lighting, some new partitions, joinery work, toilet refurb, new MF ceilings and carpets. There was no external works required for this particular project. And it wasn't a five-star project. It was more a three-and-a-half, four-star. Other projects, like our listed building developments, have cost more. Some as much as £650 a square metre. But this was for a complete rebuild, with only external walls and structural elements effectively remaining. New windows, heating, lighting, electric plumbing, pointing, roofing, the lot. So... The costs can range quite substantially, and that is certainly not the upper limit. We managed to get it to that price by doing a lot of that management of that ourselves. So it's not great to go on, I know. But I thought I'd better give you some costs that we've spent. And a wee caveat here, of course, don't go out and base all your estimates on £200 a square metre because Jerry said so. It will vary on each project. So on the list, what are those things that will affect that price? And some of these you'll know from, of course, doing your own residential developments. But some of them are slightly more akin to commercial, so let's just run through them. The first thing is, a big determining factor on costs is based on who's going to manage the works. So I just mentioned that about that price at 650 Remember, we all have responsibilities during the construction process, and managing the works yourself increases that responsibility. But it can reduce the management contractor cost. I suspect it saved us as much as a couple of hundred pounds a square metre or so on some projects. The second thing is, where is the building located? Both in terms of nationally, so for instance, is it in the highlands of Scotland or in the centre of London or in New York City? Because that's going to affect lots of things, lots of cost variations in terms of the contracts, materials, competition for those contractors, transport, and of course, even on a local scale, what's site access like? 
Is it on industrial state and you can drive up any time of night or day with deliveries? Or is it in a more sensitive area where there's restrictions on when those deliveries can be made? You need to have a look at that. That will be in some of the planning and some of the title issues. So the third thing is, and, and it's a big factor, is whether you need to change the planning use classification. Not that that in itself is a costly exercise. The real cost will be dependent on what your local building authority or government rules are. So, for instance, if you have an office use classification and you just want to improve the property and build perhaps some more smaller offices, then generally they can't demand that you put in more parking or you put in new windows or improve the insulation values. If the provision has been there for years, then any improvement you make will lift the property. You don't have to comply fully with current building regulations in the fullest sense because you're not changing the use. Of course, you will need professional advice on this one. However, if you change the use, then there's every likelihood you'll have to bring it bang up to date with all the current building codes. And while we're on the subject of building codes, you need to consider lots of other factors, such as fire escape distances, toilet provisions, and various other factors. But we'll cover that on a future podcast about workspace design. Remember to hit the subscribe button on your app, of course, so you don't miss out any future episodes that just might make a big difference to your next project. So the fourth thing, what are business rates or property taxes are you going to be affected by those whilst you're carrying out the works? Sometimes there are areas where they're not, but in other locations you will have to continue paying these. So don't forget about that when you're working out your redevelopment cost, because it's a, it's a cost that's going to be ongoing. And it's a cost that could be um, quite substantial, unless you've managed to mitigate it. The fifth thing is your building listed or scheduled. Are there certain responsibilities you can't avoid? But on the flip side, are there any grants available, particularly for old properties? Believe it or not, there are sometimes one or two still available. Sixth thing, what about services? This is an example. Drainage. Is it combined or do you need separate pipework for wastewater and drainage, surface water? Because those separately can be quite expensive but if you can start if they're combined already on site and you can continue doing so it may save you quite a lot of money is the electric supply up to the level you need to operate your plans it may have a perfectly good supply cable coming in for the electric that was used on site previously but perhaps you're going to need to upgrade it and the same goes for gas is that in the right location do you need to move it Gee whiz, these guys want to charge a lot of money to move any of these things. So it's important to work that out early on. Is the heating system good condition? We've had to change most. Sometimes if it's a wet system, we've been able to retain the old pipework and perhaps radiators. But I think all our boilers have now been changed. And sometimes that might be a straight swap out of an old one and in with a new one and you've got very little else to change. But in some locations, you may have to consider changing the type of boiler that you actually have, which can add a bit more to the cost. Another thing to think about is, dependent upon what you're going to be offering, but fibre internet access is actually quite important. 
So think about it. If it's not available locally to that building and you have a tenant moving in there who, or potentially moving in there who wants super fast internet to be able to function, it could be a deal breaker. So why don't you pop online, check the postcode or zip code for the building you're looking at, because there are platforms there where you can go in, type in the postcode or the zip code, and it'll tell you whether something is local or not. As I say, it could be a deal breaker. Are there any potential products or conditions of the property that are going to give you problems? So for instance, asbestos. This can put people off straight away. If there's a mention of the word asbestos, they're out of here. It can be expensive, but it might be less than any reduction in the purchase price because of it. And in the UK, it is allowable as a 125% capital allowance against future earnings. So there are some tax deductions for getting rid of it. There is support there. But don't get me wrong, we've had to remove asbestos and it's not a cheap process. But it can affect the purchase price. It is something that you can negotiate with. And on the subject of stripping out, this is the next one. What, what else will you need to strip out? For instance, on a recent project, we asked ourselves, what's above that ceiling? Let's take it out. Oh, it's another ceiling. Oh, look, there's another. And yes, you guessed it, underneath that, there was another. It was, in fact, the original timber ceiling. There was four ceilings. And basically, every time somebody moved in and did something different, they just added another ceiling. They built another box. So sometimes stripping out, there may be more layers than you thought. So is the electric system any good? If you're subdividing, you might need to start again. The 14th thing, I'm rattling through them here. Do you need to move services to create better use of space? Because it might be that redesigning the building will actually give you better valued space. But in doing that, you may have to change and move services, which could be quite costly. Another factor in there, of course, is do you actually need to remove existing walls? And back to the ceiling example, do you actually just build new ones within? You just leave everything there and you just shrink the size of the space down a little bit, but adding in new finishings. And should you put in more windows to open up spaces so they become more valuable? It's another factor in the design side of it. So, as you can see, I'm not going to go right through this list, but there are lots of different factors which you can come across on your own developments. And these could be things, other things like wet or dry rot or rising damp and roof conditions and render or cladding problems, woodworm or beetle infestations. There's loads of things you can worry about, but let's not go through everything like that right now. This is more to give you an overview of what might be involved and give you some good tips that you can use straight away. However, if it is a hot topic for you right now, then just get in touch. It is something we cover in depth during our strategy sessions. So let's crack on with a couple more tips and thoughts on single occupant lease properties. As you can imagine, actual budget costs are going to range wildly from project to project, as I've already highlighted. And our most recent acquisition has cost us nothing to refurbish, as it has a sitting tenant on a long-term lease. I do know there will be some costs coming. The previous project to that was at least £650 a square metre. But the one that we're just about to start is more of a vanilla redevelopment. There's not really any external works to do. And compared to some of our older acquisitions, we hope that it's going to be nearer perhaps the £200 a metre mark. And I'm sure some properties that people have developed will cost way over £1,000, maybe even £2,000 a square metre 
depends on location, depends on demand, and depends on what customers are willing to pay. There's no much point spending £2,000 a square metre on a redevelopment to plate everything in platinum and gold if your local market can't afford it. So it depends on so many different factors. The bottom line is you need to work out what the optimum offering is for your local market and to fit out to match it. That does not mean the cheapest or the best of everything. So a main advantage of managing the work with your own team is that when carrying out refurbishments of older buildings, they only truly reveal themselves when you peel back the layers. If it was a fixed contract, any changes to optimise the new opportunities that present themselves during the refurbishment can be costly. If, however, you are in charge of the works with your own team, you can flex to suit the building characteristics. Plus, as you go along, you learn what the market really wants, so you can pivot your model if there is a particular niche that presents itself. Again, a costly thing to do with a full-blown management contractor. But consider maybe phasing your project. See, if you phase development because you've perhaps got different access points, so you can build out a certain area, 25%, say, put it out to the market, get it let, discover what the market wants, then you can perhaps look at redeveloping the next section just slightly differently in response to what the market is demanding. But of course, when you're working out at the start what you're actually going to price, you do of course need to just put some figures down. So when you're taking on older and older properties, just keep a bigger contingency in there. And as you develop your skills by way of experience, you might be able to look at a property, establish key factors of the likely refurbishment and work out a pretty good number with just a few minutes reflection, which of course is backed up by years of experience. Who said this was an overnight thing anyway? A word about single occupant leased buildings. So if you're developing the space for CMO or more intensive management, then you may want to provide a higher spec. If, however, it's a single let tenancy with a long lease, so for instance a shop or perhaps a warehouse, that you're, that's the sort of thing you're after, then the cost may be less as most tenants want a basic box in which they can create their own type of space. In fact, sometimes you can get away with doing virtually no work on the property at all, as the new tenant will take on responsibility for the fit-out. This will depend on location, demand and price, though. These things will all come up in your negotiations. If it's in an area of strong demand, you may need to do less to entice a new tenant. If it's in a tertiary area, you might need to offer some rent-free period to allow them to get set up. It keeps your costs down and means you don't lock in a lower rental by discounting the lease amount to reflect the capital the customer has to spend. Because remember, the value will base his or her judgment on the, re the rental income. So giving a rent-free period will not affect your valuation anywhere near as much as a reduction in rent over the full length of the lease. This is an important point to think about if you're seeking to refinance or leverage for the next purchase. So I hope this delve into the redevelopment costs will help you analyse your commercial deals with a little bit more knowledge of what to look out for. Some of the things we discussed are the same right across the commercial and residential market and you might be familiar with, but others are more specific to commercial property investment. I think if you look into the various different types of projects and offerings that are in your market, 
and then start looking into these redevelopment costs based on what you think the customer is going to need, that's going to set you on the right track. But taking a figure of £20 a square metre or a figure of £1,000 a square metre is clearly going to blow some budgets and some projects out the window. And you're going to have to, at some point, seek professional advice. But I would say, as you develop your skills, you will be able to work out roughly what these things are going to cost. You're going to be able to create relationships with builders and knowledge that's going to allow you to work these things out as you go along on a more... I wouldn't say a gut feel, because you still need to be professional and work out what those numbers are going to be, but you're going to be more confident with those numbers and with the people that you're working with. So don't rush out there and think it's all £200 a square metre or £50 a square metre. Do go out and seek advice. I hope that that's really helped. Thanks again for tuning in. If you found value from the content, then all I ask in return is that you please hit the share button on your app so others can find out about this podcast or leave a review on your favourite platform. The more listeners we have, the more value we can all gain. So finally, can you pick one thing from this episode you can act on? Just one. Commit to yourself you're going to take that step, even if it's just more information gathering. One of the best things you can ever do, by the way, is just get in the swim. Thanks again. Till next time. enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.